following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. Please pray with me as we get ready to talk about shadow and substance, because that's what this passage is all about. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this time to study your word. I ask you boldly right now that you come into this room in a powerful way, not because of any of us or what we have to offer, but because of what you are doing. I pray that you would cast out all powers and principalities from this place and from anywhere around here and and set us free from that bondage and instead fill this place with your light, with your spirit, with your breath that fills our lungs and makes us breathe new life again. Lord, I pray that you would equip us with your full armor, the full armor of God, and I pray that through that equipping that you would then help us grow and learn in a way that maybe we haven't learned before, that we'd hear your word anew, that we would recognize it alive. The word is alive by the power of your Holy Spirit and in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So i got to tell you about a really interesting experience I had Thursday night. Through a wild scenario of circumstances, most of, most of which was my mistake, some of it was the broken world, and a lot of things in between, I found myself riding around with a fellow named Michael. And we had a great time on Thursday night. And Michael was telling me all about his life. Michael's probably early 20s, and here I am in my late 40s, and we're just chatting as two fellows riding in the car. And, um, and so, long story short, he gets, we're going through the conversation. He's telling me about him. I'm telling him about me. And he says to me, he goes, you know, the one thing I really don't like is religious people. And then he, he goes, you know, I forgot. What do you do for a living again? And so... It was funny because I was like, how do, how do I answer that? And I even told a joke just a week or two ago. How do you answer that question? I always, you know, do you say like motivational speaker? I mean, I don't know. And so, and so I said, well, actually, before I answer that question, you need to know something. I completely agree with you. I'm not a fan of religious people. And I certainly am not one. And, and, and I said, and what do I do for a living? I'm a pastor. And he's like, okay, what are you doing to me, man? What's up? What are you, what are you talking about? Well, what, we, what, what I was getting at is that, that when we define the word religious, you know, you can make it really, really generic and say, well, if you just like believe in God, then you're religious. And, and in that sense, I love religious people because we can you know, talk about God. But most people, when we think about religious, it's about your behavior. Are you a goody? You know, that's, that's really what we're talking about. Are you a goody? I mean, do you, you do it right? Do you like, do you live, are you, you got good living? You got right living? You must be living right, you know, and then you're religious, right? And that's the part, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I despise it, and I've despised it my whole life. Because what you find in that category of whatever you want to define that as, what we find is lies, hypocrisy, brokenness to the nth degree. And that hypocrisy, those lies, they, what happens is they start to stem from, um, I compare my behavior to other people. And if I encounter someone who does not have as good a behavior as I have, well, then that shows me how good I am. And if I encounter someone whose behavior is better than mine, then I think I'm a terrible person. And anywhere in, in that, that labyrinth of thinking is despair. It's, it, 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 just takes, it takes our hopes and our joys and it kills them. And then the other thing it does is then we start to step on the necks of everyone around us. We step on their throats and we don't care about the na- our neighbors. And what's ironic is, is if, you, if, you, if you go through the time that Jesus was on the earth and you look at who he chewed out and who he lifted up, he never chewed out what we would call a sinner, right? He never went to the prostitute's house or to the tax collector's house or to the drug dealer's house and said, y'all are a bunch of sinners. 
You know what he did at their house? He had dinner with them. That's what he did. And you know who he did chew out? Well, he chewed out the religious people. And again, that definition I'm talking about where they're all about behavior and doing it right and living right and doing all those things, that's who he chewed out. And it's like, but wait, Mark, I didn't know that was the way the story goes. That doesn't make any sense. And that's why we're talking about shadow and substance today because the book of Hebrews is basically this this 13-chapter commentary on the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, because, well, the New Testament was still being written when it was written. And so they didn't have all those texts yet. They didn't, some of them did, but not all of them. And so as a result, he's sitting here, everyone's reading the Old Testament. What is it about? Is, and see, some people will think, oh, I know what it is. In the Old Testament, God was grouchy, and in the New Testament, he was smiling. You know, it's like, and that's what they kind of they operate with that assumption. And that is not the truth. And that's what this is teaching us today. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to put a few scriptures on the screen so we can zoom in. And I like to zoom in. You know, like pinch and zoom. That's what we're doing. And so, and so that's what we're doing. We want to kind of zoom in on these things and highlight a few words. He says, the point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest. And see, that, that word there where he's talking about high priest, you're like, see, there it is. There's that religious language. Because guess what? When I'm at work, we don't talk about priests unless, you know, you like work at a seminary or something. You know, it's like we don't talk about priests at work. We talk about humans who, who are not religious and they're just doing their job or whatever. And why are you bringing in high priests telling me we're not about religion? Because here's what a religious priest is like. And again, we're using that religion definition that it's about behavior. A religious priest is someone who, who comes in and he sets himself apart from the people. And he becomes this person that you go to in order to get to God. And what this is saying is, we do have one of those. His name is Jesus, and he is God, right? We don't have to go to a human to get to God. And what's ironic, this is not in this particular reading today, but if we read in other places, we'd find out who are the priests? Who are the priests in Jesus' kingdom? I'm looking at them. It's all the people of God are priests. We are all the people who have the good news of Jesus in us, and we're going to find he actually, by his Spirit, dwells in us. And so therefore, what we have, he calls us to simply share, right? Share what you've got, and that's where we become the priests. And so it's called the priesthood of all believers among Christians. And our high priest, then, is Jesus himself. This is why, you know, um, I always tell the joke about how I was, I was um, participating in a wedding with a family that had grew up Catholic. And so they were like, we kind of would love you to dress like a Catholic priest. And so what was funny is, is we'd go, I was going around that event, and I was all, I mean, all the robes and the whole thing. You should have took a picture, but you didn't, so now you'll never see it. And so, and so I was doing that because, you know, you love your neighbor, right? And that's what they wanted. And somebody said, oh, are you the priest? And I'm like, no, Oliver's the priest. And then they're like, oh, you had to make it weird, didn't you? Okay, so that's what happens. So... Look what our high priest did. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. What this, is, this is like Old Testament language right here. And what it means is Jesus has all the power. There is no one higher than Jesus. He, he has all authority. You know, Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And then what did he do with his authority? Take a look at verse 2. Because <laughs> this is awesome. And this guy, who is the high priest and the king, right? all power, all authority, and the one who we go to for our need, what does he do? He serves. Now what's really interesting is that word that's in green there, that's underlined in Greek, it is this word liturgia, or I'm not pronouncing it right, but it's this, because it's kind of a long word, but it's basically the, where we get our, the Latin word liturgia, and then it comes into English as liturgy, and then this is where Lutherans get in a fist fight because they're like, oh, what do we got to do? But it just means, what do you do for somebody else? What is your duty to those whom you are serving? 
And so a lot of people think your duty is to do page 5 and 15 and do a certain style of worship and do a very specific pattern. And it doesn't matter which faith tradition you grew up in. Everybody has their pattern. And if you don't follow the pattern, well, then you're not religious. So you can see now I don't like being religious. I love to not follow the pattern. Let's follow Jesus. He's the pattern. And what does he do? Do we come here to serve him or does he come here to serve us? Because the Bible says something very different than we expect. He serves in the sanctuary. Now, again, sanctuary is a word that, again, kind of sounds religious. Because you think, well, sanctuary is like this room. But everybody's like, hey, Mark, we're, we're actually in a winery building where they like have all kinds of fun and do all kinds of things. I'm like, yeah, isn't that cool? And we're having fun too. Trust me, you will. You just wait. And so, and so the sanctuary, it, means this, it literally means a place set apart, a place that made holy. And what it means in our language, oftentimes, what most people think is a sanctuary is a place that's safe, right? And I think that both are true. It is holy, set apart. Not, not, holy doesn't mean righteous. It means different. It's set apart, and it's this place where we're safe. See, and, and if we're all religious and judgmental and looking down our na- at our nose at our neighbor, then that's not a safe place. That's a scary, terrible place that nobody wants to go. Oh, wait, that's what's happening in our culture where... 98% of the people under the age of 30 don't go to church. I wonder what, you know, we ought to be feeling a little uncomfortable with that too, right? And this is the thing. Jesus serves in the sanctuary. Now, is the sanctuary this, this, this winery building or that real, you know, it only could be a sanctuary if it's got stained glass or it can only be a sanctuary if it's made out of brick and mortar. What is the sanctuary? Where does Jesus actually dwell? And it says here, the true tabernacle. Set up by the Lord and not by man. Now what's really interesting here at Praise and Worship, some, several times we've studied what does the word heaven mean, and, and a lot of times the Bible will say it's in heaven. And in this reading we read it's in heaven. But where is heaven? And we love to have this phrase, wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And guys, the scripture is, is just relentless in saying that you and I are the true tabernacle because he is the true tabernacle. And he now dwells in us. In fact, when we say that he dwells in us, that word dwelling is actually a root word that means tabernacle, right? He lives in you and in me. Take a look at Hebrews 8, chapter 8, verse 5. Now he's writing there and he says, the Old Testament priests serve at a sanctuary, there's that word again, that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Now this is the part where we, we get our words, a copy of the shadow, it's not the thing, it's the thing that points to the thing. So when you and I gather in this room, We're not in the true sanctuary. And everybody's like, yeah, because this is just a metal building with a concrete floor. That ain't the reason. You can have all the stained glass. And, and, uh, you know, several of my friends have been to Europe and described the giant cathedrals that are there. And I'm like, dude, I just want to go there. And I just want to, like, I want to, like, sneak into the pulpit when nobody's there. And I just want to say, Jesus, and let it echo through the giant building. I think that would be so cool. But that's not the the true sanctuary. The the more beautiful and and the more amazing you build, it doesn't make it a true sanctuary. The question is, does Jesus dwell there? Where Jesus dwells, that's a true sanctuary. And he has promised to you and to me that he dwells inside of us. He says that you are the body of Christ in this world. He says, let your light shine. You're going to be a city on the hill. You're you're the salt of the earth. You are the one that when you do stuff, it makes an impact to the world, right? This is how it works. And so... This idea where the priests, those Old Testament priests, when they're going in and they're doing their religious stuff, that's only a copy. That's just a shadow of the true sanctuary, the real one that is in heaven. 
And you're like, but isn't heaven up there and this is down here? No, heaven is wherever Jesus is present, wherever his presence comes in and overlaps this world. It's not so much a place, well, I guess you could call it that, as they, they use the phrase in, but it's wherever he is. You know, some people will say, well, you know, I've been to Hawaii or I've been to Tahiti and that's like heaven on earth. You know, I'm kind of thinking this particular place, this particular time is heaven on earth. Because Jesus is here with us through his word, using a yahoo up here to yap about it, and y'all to hear it and to let it go into your bodies and thump your heart and do something. That's the power of the gospel. And this is why Moses was warned, because it's the good stuff. Now look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, just so we don't miss this, because these are the shadows. We learn in the book of Galatians that this kind of stuff was given to us to point us to Jesus. Because when we read this, let's read it, this day I call in heaven, this is Moses talking, um, as, and earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. See, when you read something like that and you realize I didn't always choose life, what does that mean? Does that mean when, when I got sick that that was what happened? I, 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 I didn't do things right, now God's mad at me. When I lost my job, that's what, that's what it was. When, when that one time and, um, and, the, and, the, and the wedding ring gets washed down the sink, does that mean I wasn't supposed to get married? I mean, we start doing this stuff, right? And all of these things happen, and that's because we look at life and death and blessings and curses, and we think it's an if-then statement. If I'm good, God will bless, else he will curse. And I'm going I'm to argue with you guys that I think that that's our operating theology on a daily basis. And the gospel says, no, 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 no. No, no, I love you because you're my kids. The only if then is, is that I created you and now I love you. That's it. Come home. Come home. Just like the prodigal son. The father was out on the road looking for him, having compassion when he saw him far away. Right? Come home. You're my son. You were dead and now you're alive. You were lost. Now you're found. Take a look at Hebrews 8, verse 6. Let's talk about substance. Not the shadow, but the substance. The ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs. There's that same word again. Ministry is the same as the word serve. It's this liturgy kind of thing. The liturgy that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, which is the if-then statement, as the covenant of which he is, the mediator, is superior to the old one. This covenant is, hi, I'm Jesus. I gave everything for you. Come, take and eat. Come, take and drink. This is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you, as, you, as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Right? This is what he's doing. And he says, he says, and it's founded on better promises. Instead of choose life, I chose you. Instead of your choices, his choices. Jesus said, you did not choose me, I chose you. And that choice, that power is a better promise than whatever I could have mustered up. I always love to say, you know, we were, I was with the students at the Lutheran Student Center this week, and I was, you know, we tell them the joke I tell often here, and that is, you know, on Sundays, I might hit 32% righteous. On Fridays, it's more like 25, 24, and if it's like Monday night, I'm like in the low teens, right? I mean, that's how my righteousness goes. My righteousness is not enough, and yours might be. Tell me if it is. We need to talk after worship. Now, I want you to look at Hebrews 8.10, which is also Jeremiah 31, 33, because this is how the substance works. 
right? So the shadow, if I, if I see someone dressed a certain way and they got candles and they got all the religious stuff, that's shadow. What's the substance? Is the substance how you dress or how you sing or how you, you know, do you, I suppose the Oran's position, right? They always had to put a level on mine, right? Because it would be off target. And so, and so what is it? What is the substance? And this is the substance of the new covenant. God says, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And I've never seen a religious practice look anything like that. What I see, where I see this kind of thing is when families get together and have dinner, which we're going to do today. When I see this kind of thing is when, is when a dad holds his daughter when she's crying, or a mom comforts her son, or, or when two people who are so mad at each other look at each other with tears in their eyes and say, I'm sorry. That's when this is going on. That's when we have substance. It's the power of the good news of Jesus in your life and in mine, and it changes the world because it's no longer about stuff that we're supposed to do just so. It's about what's in our minds and what's in our hearts. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ being truly alive, risen from the dead. Yes, he reigns on the throne in heaven, but not just there, also here, also here, also here. Right? That's where it's going on. I will be my God and they will be my people. We'll be a family. And it's like we made the joke a few weeks ago. We're going to get the band back together. Right? This is what we're doing. Take a look at Hebrews 8, verse 13. You just got to know this is in the Bible. I've had multiple people say, that's not in the Bible. I mean, I, 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 I'm not using, like I, this is not like a weird Bible. This is a regular Bible. By coving, calling the covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Now, we don't want to be making the mistake of Marcion. Marcion was a fella in the early time of the church, first couple centuries, and he read this passage and others, and he goes, oh, that means we don't need the Old Testament. And he threw it out, right? We only need the Gospels of Jesus and maybe some of these letters that crazy Paul guy wrote. That's all we need, right? And in reality, <laughs> what, what, is, what is obsolete is not the story, but the covenant, now remember, covenant is a partnership. This is God coming along and putting his arm around you and me and saying, I want to do this together. Because God never in any of the story did he just go into a place and just lay everyone out and say, this is, I'm new sheriffs in town. He never does that. What does he do? He goes to Moses. He says, I'll tell you what. I want you to go in there to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him to let my people go. And Moses is like, come again? What, you want to do what? Through who? And Moses was just, he goes, I, got, I can't talk very well. And I don't have the skills. I don't have like marketable talents. I don't have any of these things. God's like, yeah, I know. And you know, you can bring your brother along. He'll help you. You go do it. You know, why? I, in my whole life, I'm like, why did God say to Moses, you do it? When he could have just rolled in there with like a legion of angels and just kicked Pharaoh's tail all over Egypt with the breath of his mouth. See, but he chooses not to do that way. Because God is not interested in laying waste to people. He's loving them. For God so loved the world, and that includes Egypt, and that includes Pharaoh. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then that only son who died on the cross for you and for me, then after he's risen from the dead and he says, all authority and all, and all power have been in heaven and earth have been given to me, and what does he do with that authority? Well, he serves. And then he says, now you go. Just like, just like he said to Moses, you go. And you make disciples of all nations and you teach them everything I've taught you. And you baptize them so they know who they are. They know who that they are. They belong to Jesus. They belong to God the Father. They have the name of the Most High written upon their foreheads and written upon their hearts. You tell them. 
And why, do, why should we tell him? Because we know what it's like to be redeemed. We know what it's like to be completely unworthy. And then God says, yeah, but I love you anyway. I love you anyway. And that's why the old covenant is obsolete. We don't need to tell people, hey, you need to go keep the kosher laws and keep the Sabbath and do all these things. That's obsolete. Jesus has come. He has invaded this earth with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And he invites us to participate in his mission. And I think we should pray about that. What do you guys think? Let's do that. Father, we love you and we thank you for all of these gifts that you give us. Move our hearts to see the difference between that religiosity and the reality. Help us see the difference between the shadows and the substance. Help us see that what is obsolete were these commands that we could never keep, but the story, we need it all the time so we can see how you've always been working to bring Jesus to this world and therefore to bring us home so that we could be your people and you would be our God. Help us trust in you no matter what happens. And when we fail and we, and we fall down and we like, how did I even let that happen? Let us hear the good news of the gospel. You're out on the road looking for us, having compassion for us no matter what. Forgive us when we keep you at arm's length and bring us home by the power of your spirit through the, <laughs> through the working of your word and your sacraments. Lord, we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.